Hey y'all, and welcome back to Uplift Fit Nutrition Radio. I'm your host, Lacey Dunn, future registered dietitian, here to spread the scientific knowledge in the worlds of fitness and nutrition. Today, I have a nutrition Q&A. All the questions with the times where I talk about it will be in the description. So let's get started and let's get ready to learn. First off, thank you so much for listening to Uplift Fit Nutrition Radio. If you would help me in growing this podcast, all you have to do is leave a review. Tell me, be honest, do you like this podcast? What would you like to learn? You can always email me topics that you would like to learn about, and I will always make sure to try and get to them. So today, like I said, we are going to go into a Q&A from the questions that were posted and asked on my Instagram at Faith and Fit. So first question is how do coaches find the right macros and calories to start you out with? So I can't answer this for every coach, but I know a lot of coaches use different um, formulas and calculations. I know as a future RD, my favorite formula is the Mifflin St. Jor. I don't necessarily use a formula in developing macros and calories because what happens is that does not take into account a person's diet history, a person's individual metabolic needs. So I really look at what they've been eating, what their activity is like, their height, their weight, their age, everything. I take a holistic look at what they need and then we... um, well, I give give around, try and find a maintenance rein first and then move on from there. I'm not sure what other coaches specifically do. I know some people just use calculators. I'm not a fan of just using calculators. I don't suggest just using a calculator. But if you do, I always suggest using the Mifflin St. George. So the next question, hi, Lacey, what would you say is the biggest slash most common nutrition people mistake people make. I think the biggest mistake people make is um, trying to change 5 billion things at once, overhauling their diet. So an example for this would be like detoxing or jumping on to Whole30. That's the biggest mistake people make. You really need to make small changes in order to make something sustainable. So something like um, first week of your diet, just trying to implement more fruits and vegetables. Second week of your diet, um, reducing your carb intake on one of your um, late meals in order to reduce your overall caloric intake um, or if you, reducing your fat that week. So I'm, I'm a big firm believer in making small changes and not being overwhelmed with a new plan. Next question was talking about, do you need branch chain amino acids? No, you do not need branch chain amino acids as long as you have sufficient dietary protein intake. However, there are two reasons, three reasons actually, I would use branch chain amino acids. Number one, if you are vegan or vegetarian, this means that you potentially do not get all of the essential amino acids that you need in order to maximize muscle protein synthesis. So I highly suggest for vegans or vegetarians to use branch chain amino acids. Number two, Potentially, they can help in recovery as well as um, delaying muscle soreness and potentially helping you to push harder in the gym. Now, these studies there are varied. There's very different answers for that. But um, personally, I see a difference if I use branched chain amino acids during my workouts. So I implement them and I do a scoop um, right before I work out. 
Um, number three reasons is if you don't have necessarily a high quality protein source before you go to the gym or you don't hit that um, five grams of leucine threshold, then I suggest doing a branch chain amino acids, EAA, essential amino acid blend to make sure you hit that five gram of leucine because that is kind of what you need to fully maximize muscle protein synthesis. So say you had a little bit of um Just like if if you were a vegetarian, say that you had a tiny little bit of egg whites and you had some beans, you possibly maybe didn't reach five grams of leucine. So my suggestion would be taking branch chain amino amino acids to make sure you do so. Okay, next question. How much does your diet change from when you're in prep to when you're in off-season? Any guidelines? So for me, I really need to make sure in my off-season that I'm maximizing my calories and my macronutrients. And I'm really making sure that I up my intake as much as I can. So that means my fats, my carbs, my protein stays the same regardless because that is just how I personally do it. So... um, Let's say for prep, I will first normally I will reduce my fats first and then I'll go into my carbs. Now, I'm quite different because I'm like a genetic unicorn sometimes. But um, yeah, so that's me. Next question. Hi, Lacey. I know it's not a specific question, but I'm curious to hear your thoughts about calories in versus calories out and if it fits your macros. Do you think it matters what we eat? Like if the macros are the same, is there a difference between junk food and healthy food apart from satiety and micronutrients? Does it influence body composition? And what about sugar and fat? Can I eat as much as I want as long as it fits my macros? First off, that was Laura. Laura, it's calories in versus calories out. So In general, calories are calories. Fat is fat, but the thing is that these different foods have different reactions in our bodies. They contain different nutrients. They contain different additives. So we necessarily know that the calories are the exact same, but how those calories affect our bodies is not the same. You can't compare a sweet potato that has a different um, amount of fiber, a different amount of nutrients, different effect on your blood sugar levels to specifically sugar that has zero nutrients whatsoever. I am a firm believer in having balance with if it fits your macros, with filling your macros with whole unprocessed foods, 80%, 20% fun foods, and I truly believe that if you want to feel your best, if you want to look your best, you are going to fill your foods with foods that help you do so, that help you be your best in the gym, that help you to live, breathe, and thrive. You need those nutrients. So I am a firm believer in those good nutrients in your diet. So no, calories are not different, but the nutrients in the calories are. Okay, next question is talking about workout frequency and what is best in regards to muscle hypertrophy. So in regards to muscle hypertrophy, there has actually been a recent paper that came out um, from Brad Schoenfeld, and it specifically talks about frequency. So previously, it was kind of shown in the literature that four times a week was better than three times a week, which was better than two times a week. So this paper came out and it said that two times a week is not 
is not necessarily worse than four times a week and that both groups saw the same amount of muscle growth. So in this study, specifically volume was equated, meaning the amount of sets times reps was overall the same throughout the week between the two different studies. Meaning if you have the same amount of volume and you work out four times a week versus two times a week, but the same amount of volume between those different sessions, you're going to have the same muscle hypertrophy benefits. I am a firm believer in frequency, but I am also a firm believer in rest. Um, I think frequency, it always depends per person. Individuality is huge. And even though I believe in science, I believe in data, I really don't think we can always specifically apply one concept to every single person. So for me, I highly like doing two to three times a week. Um, I Normally, I stick to two times a week for maximum um, growth in a muscle group. If you're really having trouble, if this is an area that just refuses to grow, going to four times a week may be necessary, but not for big muscle groups like your quads or your hamstrings or your chest. Um, things like shoulders, calves, um, glutes, those would be better muscle groups to do with higher frequency. So that is my answer on that and make sure you check out his paper. Next question. Is it more accurate to weigh meat slash fish raw or cooked? I always hear just to be consistent, but it seems that one way might be more accurate than the other. So definitely the consistency is key, but I suggest for all my clients, I suggest for my friends, my family, I do myself, I do everything cooked. Because when something is raw, that additionally has water and liquid in it. So when you cook that, it cooks it out. And obviously they're going to have different weights before and after. But if you if you measure it cooked, then you're specifically not measuring the water content. Regardless of the measure you are using, just make sure you track it as either raw or uncooked and you're good to go. Next question. If I work out at 5 a.m. prior to work, is it better to eat a higher GR carb such as two rice cakes, no protein added 15 minutes prior or just remain fasted for muscle growth? So for you, I highly suggest you don't specifically need those carbs right in the morning. I just suggest either doing a um, branch chain amino acids, EAA um, blend, or doing just a protein shake before you go work out, and then waiting about an hour after you work out and just eating a full-size meal. You don't really necessarily need those carbs unless you feel you need those carbs pre-workout. But um, in regards to muscle growth, you really want to have that protein. On a question about probiotics and their benefits. So probiotics have the world of benefits. They are not just good for your digestion. So by taking a probiotic, you are taking the good guys, the good bacteria to go into your intestine and to help with both digestion. They're going to help with your hormone levels, your thyroid levels. They are going to help with everything and reducing your inflammation. I highly suggest everybody takes a probiotic. Make sure that you have one that contains lactobacillus and bifidobacterium. So by taking a probiotic, this will help to repair your gut barrier, restore normal balance of flora, which also promotes healthy thyroid and hormone levels. And so take your probiotic for sure. 
Key note though, if you have something like SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, you might want to stay away from the probiotic. So I have done a little bit of a digestive series on my Instagram at Uplifit Nutrition. Make sure you check that out and I could potentially do a digestive um, podcast as well. Okay, I had a question about carb cycling and the benefits. So carb cycling is when people either have a high carb or a low carb day. And a lot of people think that this helps in regards to losing weight faster or reaching their goal faster or being the better way. And the truth is carb cycling versus a linear carb diet is not going to make a difference. It's all about your personal preference, what's going to help you in regards to adherence and with your energy levels. So if you're doing carb cycling that kind of mimics a um, twice a week refeed, then that actually has some potential physiological benefits, but a lot of people don't use it that way. So in regards to linear versus carb cycling, it's not going to make that much of a difference. It's all going to end up being calories throughout the week, your carbs throughout the week. So find what works for you. Here's a little fun question. Somebody asked me, what is one thing you love to eat but doesn't agree with your body? Two things specifically, and I know these are healthy things, okay? But I love broccoli. I have always loved broccoli since I was a little girl, and I would call them little baby trees. But I can't eat them because they make me super gassy and bloaty. And then um, sweet potatoes. My body just does not like sweet potatoes. I literally blow up and my face hates them. Oh, and tomatoes. Tomatoes make my face break out, but they're so delicious. Oh, okay. So those are the three foods that I love that my body hates. Um, how important is a multivitamin? Which is quite funny because I've actually gotten emails about that question quite frequently. So in regards to a multivitamin, so if you get a nutrient-dense diet, you do not need a multivitamin. However, most of the U.S. population does not have a nutrient-dense diet and they have gaps in in their diet. So they aren't reaching their vegetable and their fruit intake. And most of them for sure are not reaching their vitamin D, their magnesium, their zinc, their calcium intake. So because of that reason, I highly suggest everybody takes a multivitamin. Most likely you are not going to overdose on by using one multivitamin. What people need to be careful in doing is adding additional supplements other than a multivitamin to their diet because you can really, for a fat-soluble vitamin, potentially cause some overdoses. So just be careful, guys. Take a multivitamin. Be careful if you add an additional supplement. I had somebody ask, what are your thoughts on the apple cider vinegar craze? I think apple cider vinegar is fantastic. It is great for digestion because it acts kind of like the hydrochloric acid in your stomach. So it can help with protein digestion. It can help with overall digestion. It can help with your skin. It can help with glucose control. Um, it can help in reducing your inflammation in your body. So there's so many benefits, but it is not a secret weight loss supplement. And I hate that it comes across as that for people. So it is, it is a fantastic supplement, but it is something that has a purpose, should be used for digestion. If you have skin issues, if you have blood sugar dysregulation, that is where apple cider vinegar is good.
Next question, if you're trying to put on muscle, is it more beneficial to eat high carb meal before or after? And I'm guessing she is talking about training. So you definitely want carbs beforehand. So you have energy throughout your workout. You wanna make sure that your muscle glycogen levels are full to go into your um, training. And they probably are if you already ate a carbohydrate-filled meal um, beforehand or the day before most likely. Um, but I highly suggest maximizing those high carb meals after your workouts because that is really when you're going to have the best insulin sensitivity. That is when you really need to fill those muscle glycogen levels. Now you don't have to do it right away, but that is a great time to do that high carb meal. That way that glucose can go directly into your muscle, potentially other than another time where it is um, more likely to be stored as fat. Uh, so I definitely suggest using your post-workout time to get those carbs in. And also by eating your carbs post-workout, you are additionally helping yourself with recovery for your next session. Now on the pre-workout trend, somebody said, what's the best way to fuel pre-workout with whole foods? I highly suggest making sure you have a combination of a protein and a carbohydrate. I like to suggest for people doing a mix between um, a fast digesting and a slow digesting carbohydrate. That way you're not, say you have a fast digesting carbohydrate, you're not having a sudden elevation in your blood sugar levels, which could potentially fall and cause you to maybe go hypoglycemic, have a little bit of fatigue mid-workout. So I highly suggest doing a mixture of those carbohydrates, having a quality protein source, and then kind of having a low fat and fiber. So keeping fiber under 10 grams, that way you don't have to poop right when you get to the gym. And keeping fat low, that way you have good digestion, those carbs can go into your muscles faster, that protein can go into your body faster, and you really aren't feeling sluggish because nobody likes feeling sluggish in the gym. Okay, so I had somebody say, what's your preferred diet, intermittent fasting, or five to six meals throughout the day? So first off, I have done an intermittent fasting podcast, so make sure you check that out, but I do do intermittent fasting. I am not strict. I just typically fast till um, either 12 or 1 p.m., and then I just eat my meals. I have done that for a really long time. That is just something I personally like to do, and it has really helped me in the mornings with having a stable blood glucose level. So that is something I do and I prefer. It doesn't really necessarily have any differences in regards to body composition. If anything, intermittent fasting is worse for gaining muscle because you have that period, that window where your body is fasted, where you could potentially maximize muscle protein synthesis. However, I'm not I'm not worried about it. I, I maximize muscle protein synthesis later throughout the day. I end up eating till like 11 p.m. I'm not worried about it, but that is what I do. Okay, how big of a surplus should you be in to maximize muscle gains? So your surplus amount depends on your training age. So how long you've been training as well as your individual metabolism. Some people really have to boost up to 500 calories in order to gain muscle, in order to have a stimulus for growth. Some people can gain a little bit amount of muscle with say 150 calories extra in a surplus per day. So so 
If you're a beginner, typically it is easier for you to build muscle. You don't necessarily need too big of a surplus. Um, if you are very advanced, it is harder for you to gain muscle and you don't necessarily need a huge surplus, but you might need more of a surplus than a beginner in order to create that stimulus for growth. So it's going to be different per person. My suggestion is from 100 calories to 500 calories. I know that is a huge range, but what you can do is you can start low if you don't have muscle gain happen, then you can increase your calories. I tend to be very conservative myself as well with my clients. I don't like to add too many calories and gain weight too fast because then what you're doing is instead of building muscle, you're putting on more fat that you're going to have to cut down and then you're going to have to diet and then you're going to reduce your metabolic rate. So I like to, I try and keep the surplus as controlled as possible. Okay, I have a question about fasted cardio. So fasted cardio has no fat loss benefit over a fed cardio state. And what fasted cardio can potentially cause is some muscle mass loss. So if you need to do fasted cardio, it is better for your schedule. It works better. You have more energy in the mornings. That is okay. Do some fasted cardio, but try and have some branch chain amino acids, some essential amino acids, something to potentially not lose that muscle mass. If you're not worried about losing muscle mass, then who cares? Go ahead. Do your fasted cardio. But as a competitor, that is something that I would be super scared of. I don't want to lose any of my hard work. So I would suggest if you don't have to do fasted cardio, don't do fasted cardio. I have a question about what is better for building muscle, carbs, or fat. And this is definitely different per person. But what I do find is that people do better increasing their, once their fat is at a stable place that is our, that is above 0.4 grams per kilogram, I find that people do better with adding carbs because then when you're adding the carbs, you can really maximize insulin insulin sensitivity and those carbs can fuel training sessions they can be used to um, replenish muscle glycogen they have a lot of different benefits and people seem to do better with carbohydrates somebody asked what are the key micronutrients that are most seen that are deficient in athletes and hands down what you see specifically for women is low iron and this has to do with the fact that we menstruate as well as the fact that iron deficiency anemia is high higher in the women population, but I also see low amounts of vitamin D as well as calcium and magnesium as well, and actually zinc too. So those would be the nutrients that I see both in a clinical setting as well as in the literature that athletes have low amounts in. And here we're going to have a long question. It is how to lose fat and retain muscle. So that is all about the exercise you're doing as well as the food and the type of macronutrients that you are eating. So in regards to exercise, you really have to make sure that you are lifting heavy and you are lifting to where you are stimulating your muscles to hold on to that strength, to hold on to that muscle. So when you're in a calorie deficit, normally what happens is your strength decreases. So strength decreasing is going to mean you're normally lifting less volume, which means you could potentially lose muscle mass. So with dieting, losing fat, keeping muscle, try and keep volume normal, try and keep your weights as high as you can. Um, In regards to dieting, I definitely suggest being in the smallest amount of surplus 
possible, making sure that you have the correct amount of protein, so at least 1.5 grams per kilogram of body weight, all the way up to 3 grams per kilogram of body weight, making sure that you have as much fats and as much carbohydrates as humanly possible while still losing weight. So also another thing, you want to make sure that you aren't overdoing cardio because overdoing cardio will not only create muscle depletion, but it will also make your whole body inflamed, spiking cortisol, and cortisol, high cortisol, can cause you to lose muscle mass as well. So best suggestion there, how to lose fat and retain muscle mass is by doing a small caloric deficit, making sure you use cardio as a tool, not doing an excessive amount, and making sure that your weightlifting program is good in order to keep that strength, keep that volume in there, and to prevent any muscle mass loss. Okay, I have a nutrient food question. What are the best sources of iron and magnesium? So for iron, specifically meats are great, so beef, chicken, turkey, eggs, um, shrimp, tuna, then you can move on to vegetables like sweet potatoes, spinach, broccoli, kale. Um, There are a lot of iron fortified breakfast cereals and breads as well as good sources would be even tofu and beans. And then in regards to magnesium, good sources are spinach, fish like halibut, whole grains as well, uh, pumpkin, squash, nuts, avocados, bananas, coconuts, which are the best, and dark chocolate. I love dark chocolate. So I definitely am a big fan of dark chocolate for that good magnesium. And I will end this Q&A on keto dieting and my thoughts on the ketogenic diet. So first off, ketogenic diet is very different than a low-carb diet. A ketogenic diet requires you to be in ketosis. So you are spilling out ketones into your blood, into your urine. That is quite different than a low-carbohydrate diet, which specifically doesn't mean that you're in ketosis. So a ketogenic diet specifically has been used for epilepsy as well as nowadays it is even being used to help um, reduce your risk for other cancers, chronic diseases, and I just saw a paper that came out that it is helping with prediabetes and type 2 diabetes. Now note, those are two diabetic types that are not using insulin. So I don't suggest it if you need insulin to survive. Um, Ketogenic diets can be great for somebody if they are able to sustain it. I am a firm believer in diet sustainability. Ketogenic dieting is something that has to become a lifestyle because in regards to ketogenic diets, yes, there are potential benefits, but there are also side effects. And so if you are just wanting to jump on the keto diet for like four weeks and then hop back off, what can happen is you can have digestive problems. You can create changes in your gut microbiota. You can cause insulin resistance. Now, if these are things that you're not worried about because you're not like you, you don't want to go back to a normal diet, that's fine. I'm all about finding the diet that works for you. You specifically, make sure you do your research. Um, I definitely am a firm believer that keto has its benefits. I really do feel that for specific cancers, it can help. However, it is not for all cancers because um, not all cancers, the whole point around 
ketogenic for cancer is that um, cancer runs off glucose and that is not the case. Um, some cancers can use a variety of different fuel sources. So switching to keto won't necessarily help because then they can move to ketones for fuel. And another thing about keto is that it can cause problems in making sure that you get your daily micronutrients in your diet because typically keto is 20 to 50 grams maximum in carbohydrates and it is really hard to get in a good amount of vegetables and fruit and just get in good nutrients in your diet in a ketogenic diet. Is it doable? Yes, it is doable. Is it easy? No, it's not easy. So if you are going to do the ketogenic diet, I suggest making sure you have somebody who's watching over you, you get constant blood work, and that you are making it a sustainable lifestyle. And what I mean by constant blood work is not really constant. I just mean every few months, and I highly suggest that for every single person is every few months getting your blood work done. So I just want to thank you guys again for listening to my Q&A. If this is something you guys liked, please let me know. I can do more of them. Please leave a review on iTunes. That's how I'm going to make this podcast grow. I don't make a dime off of this podcast. I just love doing it and I really want to help you guys. I really want to share the scientific knowledge in the world of fitness and nutrition. So please help me do that. Leave me a review, share this podcast, and just Email me if you have any topics that you want me to hit on. I have plans of doing a digestive one as well as hormones. So more things like PCOS, estrogen dominance, thyroid trouble, adrenal health, um, adrenal fatigue. So I have lots of topics coming and I'm excited for you guys. Welcome to 2018 with Uplift Fit Nutrition. And again, thank you guys so much for listening.